I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 126. Psalm 126. And if you're using a church Bible, uh, there's actually Bibles provided for you underneath the chair in front of you. And there you can turn to page 517. 517 of the church Bibles. If you have a, an app or your own Bible, turn to Psalm 126. Kind of smack dab in the middle of the Bibles that you might be using this morning. Um, during this summer, we've been looking at a particular set of psalms, right? If you've been tracking with us for the last month, we've been looking at these psalms called the Psalm of Ascents. And these psalms were used to be able to sing as these Israelites, as the people of God, would journey to Jerusalem for these different festivals throughout the year. And as we think about summer, right, as we're kind of like heading down towards the end of summer, whether you've taken vacations or you've done some road trips, what do you love to do when we prepare for a road trip? You love to kind of create your playlist, or maybe you use a curated playlist by Apple or Spotify or a different music company, right? And we love to use those pay- playlists for the journey or for the road trip ahead. Well, this is Israelites' playlist for their journey to Jerusalem every year. And these are the 15 songs from 120 to 134 that they would sing as God's people, reminding them of God's faithfulness. And there's all different sorts, right? For me, I might play some Erasure or Depeche Mode. And for John, he might play some Snoop Dogg or, you know, what, or whatever. And I, I'm not going to put Jenny Lynn on the spot. You know, she might play something else. But we have these, all these different sorts of songs that we choose. And the psalmists have the same thing here as well. They're songs of lament. They're songs of thanksgiving. They're songs that they want to be able to reflect on who God is. And here we have a corporate song of lament. And that's what we're going to look at here as we look at this short six six verses in Psalm 126. So keep that in mind as the people of God would sing this together, a corporate lament of sorrow, but yet one of joy as well. So read along with me. Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortune of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth is filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy bringing his sheaves with him. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for your word to us, that you give us these psalms for the journey, psalms and songs for the road trip that we are headed on in this life as we look towards Zion to heaven. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in this song of lament, one of deep sorrow and one full of tears, Lord, give us hope, give us joy that never ceases, one that is true and real in the midst of the pain that we endure. Do that good work we ask only that your spirit can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week when I was up in Grand Rapids preaching for a church up there, I had the opportunity to listen to a a missionary's family share about their trip to Ukraine recently. And for this family, it wasn't just a a journey to a foreign land or to a country to go bring humanitarian aid and to also encourage other followers and the church. 
But for this specific missionary family, this was actually a homecoming. It was a return home to their land because they were Ukrainian. And as they may, as they shared their story, Sasha, the father, shared a story, a particular story about a pastor in Ukraine. And this pastor was pastoring a church out in eastern Ukraine, right? And if you've been following the news, it's really in eastern Ukraine where Russia has been really pummeling them with, with shells and bombings. And so they had the hard decision as the war began. This pastor, Sergei, had the tough decision to be able to make the move of taking his 70 to about 100-member church from eastern Ukraine all the way to western Ukraine. Now, I don't remember the names of these cities, but that move was significant because Ukraine's about the size of Texas. From east to west, it's about 800 miles. And so to even move and displace all their people, their home, their city, from eastern Ukraine to western Ukraine was a real, not just a hassle, but it took a lot of logistics. But seven of their members chose to stay back home in eastern Ukraine. Now we can go like, why in the world would you do that? This was their home, and I'm sure it's a much more complicated answer for why they would stay in eastern Ukraine. But these seven people did. And what this Pastor Sergei does every single week for the last four months since the war began was he would make the two-day trek, bringing aid and food, and join the seven people every single Sunday and worship with them. And then he would make, after preaching and, and conducting the service, he would then make the two-day journey back to Western Ukraine to join the rest of his congregation and his family. And as this missionary was reflecting on this, Pastor Sergei, he shared about how tired and how exhausted it has been for this pastor. That he has been running on fumes for the last four months. But not just exhausted and, and tired. He has been full of sorrow and tears, seeing the devastation of his land and his city and his country. Driving the two days back and forth every week, seeing the desolation and the bombings and the destruction that has been left to the country that he loves has been one full of sorrow and tears. And yet, despite of all of the sorrow and tears and exhaustion and destruction and pain that he has been experiencing for these last four months, he also shared about how much joy there has been in the midst of tears and sorrow. As he, get, as he sees the seven faces, these brothers and sisters in Christ, excited, filled with joy to be able to worship together, to bring the hope of the gospel every single Sunday, to look up in the midst of all the destruction and chaos and sorrow, to be able to commune at the table, and to give them the nourishment of God's grace for the week ahead. He shared also the joy and the gladness that filled his heart as he would drive back for two days to western Ukraine. This is what Psalm 126 is all about. It's about a people, a people of God experiencing so much sorrow, so many tears, so much pain and loss. 
and yet there is gladness that fills their heart. How in the world do you do that? And that's what's so intriguing about this psalm, right? Because in the midst of all the tears and the sorrow, what do we read here? We read also words like laughter, shouts of joy three times in these six verses. And we, see, we hear and read about how they are glad. That's what makes Christianity such a powerful religion. Because it offers a worldview like no other. In the midst of real sorrow, in the midst of real pain, there can also be real gladness and real joy. Not one that's manufactured, not one that's just short term, but real gladness and joy and laughter in the midst of sorrow and tears and loss. That's what the Christian worldview offers as we look at this psalm. And that's why this Pastor Sergei in Ukraine, in the midst of, not despite of, but in the midst of, can hold these two things together. So much depth and authenticity that this world cannot offer us, right? I mean, we just confess that in our confession of sin. Whether it's wealth and money or your careers or social media or all the streaming services of being able to maybe escape for a moment from all the loss and sorrow that we've experienced over the last three years or whatever you've been going on in your life. Social media that gives us the, the little hit of, of happiness and gladness. Maybe it's certain drugs. I mean, it could be weed for some of us where we think that will give us just that momentary satisfaction. But the reality is you step back out and you realize the loss and the sorrow and tears are still there, right? I mean, I just, when we were in Chicago, we finally got to see Top Gun Maverick. Man, for those two hours, unbelievable. The, I mean, maybe the greatest movie. I read a review that said it is a love song or a love letter to Gen Xers, and it held true. It was amazing, but as soon as I stepped outside of that movie theater, it was hot. <laughs> You're reminded of all of what's happening in this world. And we all find that momentary hit of joy or gladness. We are able to escape and be distracted. But that's not what we see in what God offers us. It is one that is real sorrow mixed and mingled with real joy and gladness. How do we do that? What does that look like? Well, the psalmist gives us a little hint of how that is possible for us. Look at verses 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. What we see the psalmist say is that what it is, is what are we doing with the tears that we shed? Are we sowing them intentionally? Are we planting them into the ground? Are we watering the ground so that in our intentionality, in the, in the watering with our tears, that what we see happen is a harvest, is a reaping of joy and gladness that we can experience. So how are we to sow the seeds of our sorrow, as today's sermon is titled? Well, two ways briefly, that we're going to look at, the psalmist makes clear. First, it's by remembering our joy. But second, it's also by anticipating our joy. 
the first half here as we look at these first three verses, it's this, he's writing it in the past tense, right? Everything's in the past tense. When the, for, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And then right here at the end, he says, we are glad. You see, in the present moment, in the midst of their tears and sorrow, they're able to look back and remember of how God has restored them, of how, how God had done great things for them before. That in the midst of all their destruction and loss and sorrow, like it is in their present moment, God had done great things. And because of their remembering of their joy in the past, they're able to be glad now. It's both and, not one or the other. And we see it's by remembering the great things that God had done in the past that brings them this overwhelming joy. Now, what are the great things that God did for them? Well, no one knows. Scholars sometimes think that it's when God's people were in Babylon. Remember that? As we look at Ezra and Nehemiah, they were in Babylon. And they were captives to Babylon, removed from their homeland. They were exiles. And in their wildest dreams, they would have never thought that they would ever return to their homeland. But in verse 1, what do we see? We were like those who dream. Their dreams came true. And in that moment, God delivered them. God did great things by bringing them back home. And that's true of the entire story of Israel, right? Whether it's in Egypt, being slaves to Pharaoh for 400 years. Or as we looked at David, in our Samuel series, when he was being chased by King Saul, wondering what would happen. God's people can remember the ways in which God had done great things and God had restored their fortunes. Let me ask you a question. What are the things that you have lost in the past that God has restored back to you? What are the ways in which God has done great things for you? What we're called to do in sowing these seeds of sorrow is to remember our past and what God has done for us, that He has done great things. And if that's too hard and you're in a place where it seems like the Lord has never done great things for you, we've just been singing songs of salvation. We've heard the, the assurance of forgiveness that God has done great things in bringing His own Son to bear and to die and suffer for us so that we might experience freedom and joy like no other. That we are now free of shame, free of guilt and condemnation because of what God has done for us. If it's just salvation alone, we can claim that and say God has done great things. But we're called to remember the things that God has done for us. I think a lot too often we can kind of think that this is just all nostalgia, right? Oh, it's just this psalmist is kind of looking back at the glory years. But this isn't nostalgia. This isn't just looking back and being fond of that. What this is, this is like a biblical or a gospel hope that you're able to look back, but it propels you forward, Right? Glory or nostalgia is like me telling my kids and you all about my great glory years of being on the basketball team in high school, right? When I look back at those things, I can be fond of that, 
But all that brings me is disappointment and depression because when I try to play today, my back is sore. I have to sit out a bunch of games. I can't play like I used to. Like my mind is thinking I could do this, but then it takes about five seconds for my body to catch up, right? That's nostalgia. That's living back in your glory days. But gospel hope and what he's doing and remembering joy is more like my wedding day. It's being able to look back being able to remember the vows I took, remembering the family and friends that were there, the prayers that were lifted up, the counseling that we went through, so that it propelled me forward to be able to love my wife, to die to myself. That's what this kind of remembering is. Or for some of us, it could be our baptism. We, we have this baptismal bowl every single week here. Why? Because it reminds you of what God has done for you that you are his and he is mine, that we belong to the family of God. And so when there are temptations now, presently, or in the future that I don't belong, that I'm not worthy, remember your baptism. Why? Because as we remember, it propels us forward to be able to remind us that God loves us, that we are forgiven, we are redeemed, and nothing can ever change that. That's what this remembering is and what this psalmist is doing. You have done great things. So that in my moment, in my moment, present moment, where I am suffering and there's so much loss and so many tears, I can have hope that what God has done, he will do again. Which brings us to the second thing that in what we are to do when we sow seeds of sorrow in our present moment is we are called to anticipate our joy as well. It's such a beautiful thing here because in the first three verses, it's all written in the past tense. But what do we see in verses four through six? It's all written in the future, right? Do you see that? Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. We're in the future tense. Why? Because we are called now to expect the joy that is to come. What the psalmist is saying is, do it again. Do it again what you did before. Do it again. That is my hope that you would restore all that I have lost. That you redeem all that is broken. That you would heal what is hurt. That you would be able to wipe away the tears that I am sowing. There is an anticipation, an expectation that God is going to restore like he has done in the past. That he's going to do great things as he has done in the past. There is this expected joy that we see here. And what's, and what's fascinating is it's not a cry of desperation. It's a cry of expectation. It's a cry for God, do it again. Do it again. As I sit here in my loss and sorrow, God Do it again because you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And I expect you to bring me joy and laughter and gladness once again. I love how the psalmist here gives us two beautiful images, imageries of what that can look like. The first is the streams in the Negev. Negev was in the southern part of Israel. And it was very dry and arid. It was basically a desert. And so... You think about maybe the West with all the droughts that they've been having. And you think about, you know, the dirt roads 
or the dirt that's filled in the land in Colorado and Arizona. And you see all those cracks, right? Well, in the Negev, you would have these ditches because of erosion or wind. But every now and then, you would get this crazy downstorm of rain. And the rivers would just gush with water. And the entire desert would become a botanical garden filled with plants and flowers and trees and fruits. And what this imagery is, is God, do it again so that we might have that botanical garden. Where, where it was dry and filled with nothing, that these ditches would be gushing with waters of grace. Waters of healing, waters of restoration. But then the second image we see here is one of a harvest, right? Where there is famine, where there's dry, arid land, and the farmer sows his seed. And what happens? There's a harvest, a harvest of laughter, a harvest of joy. But what I love is this picture of bringing sheaves with them. What sheaves is, is bundles, bundles of harvest, of wheat, of grain, But this is bundles of joy and laughter and gladness that the people of God are expecting God to do once again. And what this picture then reminds us of first is that God alone is the one who can do that. God is the only one who can bring the rain. God is the only one who can bring up a harvest. And so it's not our job to manufacture joy, but it's God who brings the joy for us and through us and in us. But secondly, it's not just that God is the only one who does it. Whatever loss you have experienced, whatever tears and sorrow you have that you can think of right now, God is going to restore a hundredfold. Not only recover what you've lost, but more than. Whatever you have lost now, he's going to multiply with joy and gladness and laughter. That is the promise and the expectant joy that the Israelites have. That's not just we're going to have what we lost, but we're going to gain even more. And isn't that true? That is the God that we worship. When we look at this, this is a story that doesn't end today, but is a story that takes us all the way to when Christ returns. And every tear will be wiped, but we will be able to be restored more than what we've already had. What you think you can dream of today, God will give you more. It might not happen today. It might not be happening even tomorrow. It might not even happen in your lifetime. But the joy that God promises us and the one that we are expecting of is one that says it will come when Christ comes and we will experience it for eternity. The next day will be better than today and so forth. Every moment holy, when talking about or praying about loss, this is what the writer prays and asks of God. O Lord, how long till all is made right? How long till your wild grace restores all loss and upends every leaving? How long will these hurts are how long till these hurts are healed and these griefs are eternally sealed and set aside by the finally completed work of your redeeming love? You know what the prayer, answered prayer is as this prayer ends? We know that the final working of your redemption will be far-reaching, encompassing all things in heaven and on earth so that no good thing will be lost forever. That is our promise. And that is true. 
And we need to hold on to the God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. What he has done in the past, he will do again. So what does that mean for us? I thought of just one, one very, very applicable thing for us. This is what we get to do every single week on the Lord's Day, right? We go on a journey Monday through Saturday during the weekday, and we experience loss, heartache, grief, and sorrow, don't we? And in that, in that walk and journey that we go through, we get to come back as the people of God to Zion in one sense, to join God's people and to be able to look back at what God has done. That's what we're going to do here at the table, isn't it? That's what we do when we confess our sin. We look back at the great things God has done for us. We remind one another of that, right? Because sometimes I am stuck in my own head and I believe the lies and I need other brothers and sisters and friends to be able to say, Dan, God has done great things for you. But then as we're nourished and fed at the table as we come together, then we go back out expecting the hope that God will restore again. And we travel Monday through Saturday, going through the, the hardness of life. But then we come here to be able to be replenished, to be strengthened, to be nourished, to be able to go back out into the journey. See, God can turn dry places into rivers. He can turn sorrow into joy. He can bring flowers from tears. He will restore our fortunes one day. We will reap with shouts of joy, and God will make it so. Maybe not today or even tomorrow, but in eternity, this is our, our promise. Everything your heart longs for, miracle of perfect peace and love and hope and joy, and everything else is yours forever in Christ. All you have to do is receive it and wait for it. Maybe you're weeping today. That's okay. Sow those tears in God's promises and you will reap shouts of joy. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you that as you are a God who has done great things for us, that one day you will do it again. So Lord, I pray for every single one of us, do it again sooner than later. All the loss that we have experienced, the sorrow and the grief, Lord, do it again and make our hearts full of gladness and joy and laughter as only you can do. Lord, we ask that you would even do that now as we come to the table to be able to look back but also look forward to the hope that is only in Christ. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.